0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pavet Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 20 minutes, and we expect an on time arrival. Coming up on this flight, Airbus hypes a hyper aerialistic hypersonic plane. Potential clue to the MH370 mystery comes ashore. Hackers were in United Systems for a year, but what about Sabre and American? British Airways toughens its luggage policy and its E third runway stance. Delta subsidy bipolar disorder. Emirates seats numbering disorder. Corporate jet upgrades versus the shrinking A380 seats. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 20 to Dublin. Hi, Alex. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Good. Hey, man, Twenty. Twenty. I know. 20 episodes. Wow. It's
1: (laughs) it's flown by. It's been damn good fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, of course, I was I was thinking we would get there, but I mean, it's still good news. So thank you for all the guys and girls who are listening to us every week. I mean, every week, every <clears throat> 10 days <laughs> now <hour> or so. <laughs> We're trying our best. Uh, we'll do a slight modification starting today. Instead of having two parts of the show, we'll mix all the news. We'll see how that goes because we realize that sometimes it's a bit artificial to put the innovation part at the end and the industrial news at the beginning. We're going to mix them up so it's always relevant for everyone. Uh, let us know if you like it or not. We're going to see how it works today. Uh, but before we go, I mean Dublin, because I was actually in Dublin uh, today, like yesterday. I landed back yesterday, so we'll talk a little bit about the airport. I know that you know this airport quite uh, well, Alex. Yeah, it's a great,
1: it's a great airport, and it's had a lot of investment in the last five or ten years to to really turn it into a world class airport for for a lot of reasons, which we'll touch on at the end of the show. But yeah, it's a, it's a great airport, and of course, an awesome city.
0: An awesome city. You've actually done one of your episodes of Attaché, your uh, video travel log, there, right? The I television. have.
1: We had a lot of fun too. There is obviously good, good drinking there, but there's also incredibly <laughs> good eating. Uh, it's just a great city. The people were all super friendly.
0: Uh, it's true. Yeah
1: I, had, yeah, I had a lot of fun there. So that was that was a fun uh, show to produce.
0: Uh, Other, before we start uh, the the whole news, I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of James Bond, as you guys might know, because you've heard episode 007. But I'm also a big fan of Mission Impossible. And I went to see the Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, which is the latest one. Oh, how was it? Actually, it was amazing. Honestly, I loved it. Okay, maybe I'm a sucker for these kind of movies, but I really loved it. Actually, I went to a double bill. So before midnight, I saw the previous one, Ghost Protocol, and at midnight, they shot at the other one. So I've, I finished my night at 3 a.m. Oh,
1: what a good idea, though. <laughs> so was it the premiere? Like, yeah, the, it was the, the premiere. first yeah. day? It wow. Was, uh, yeah, That's the first cool. day.
0: And there's one stunt in there, uh, which you can see on the trailer when you have uh, Tom Cruise, who remind, uh, it's good to remember, is 53, Tom Cruise on the side of a, an Airbus with an A400M, uh, which is a military aircraft. And you can see him, you know, trying to get in the aircraft that the aircraft takes off. He actually is in the air. The thing is, most people don't realize the stunt was actually done live. He's actually taking off on a real plane. Of course, he was hatched with like many, you know, I guess, safety measures, but he actually did it? It's amazing. So it's, and I, you know,
1: say what you say what you will about him and his movies and his personal life. He is dedicated to his craft.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, he, there's a yeah, it's absolutely, extraordinary. absolutely. Honestly, the movie contains a lot of other stunts. There's, I mean, I'm not going to sp- sp- speed it out for you, but really, it's an amazing movie. And for that stunt alone, it's really worth watching it. if you're into aircrafts, as both uh, Alex and me uh, have have. Uh, the thing is, uh, there are many stories that have been hit to shelf since the last time we, we saw each other, Alex. Yes. Many big ones. And the first one, obviously, that what everybody talks about is MH370.
1: Yes. And if, if you've been living under a rock, you might not have heard about this, but it's dominated the headlines for the last week. The major breakthrough being that a piece of an airplane was found on the Reunion Islands, Reunion Island, which is a... Uh, it's a french territory no
0: yeah it's an overseas department actually
1: yeah. ah, okay, it's part go. of france and um this this piece of airplane washed up and people were of course very excited in some regards but also quite hesitant to say this pl- this is a piece of airplane from uh, 777, a triple seven. let alone from this particular 777, but it has uh, emerged that yes, it is extremely likely that this is a flapperon, which is a control surface uh, from MH370, which has blown open a whole new part of this investigation and and actually given us so many more new questions to, to answer and has not really answered any of the questions that we already had other yeah, than absolutely. putting to rest some of the more creative conspiracy theories that were circulating about this airplane.
0: Oh, trust me, I've seen, you know, add-ons on these conspiracy theories, you know, so that piece of the aircraft is not actually a true one. It's a fake one just to divert the attention. Anyway, let's not go there. But the thing that like you said, it's extremely likely. It's interesting that you say that because the French authorities, because so it's, it's part of their territory. That's why the Bureau d'enquête d'analyse, which is the kind of the- uh, uh it's like their uh, NTSB. Exactly. They, uh, so they, they came out and said that it's extremely likely that it's a part of the 777 and part of the MH370. Though this, the prime minister of Malaysia went much further yeah. because it said a serial number is matching MH370. The paintwork is matching. And there's also a maintenance seal that apparently in the flap that is matching. So, and that creates some kind of controversy because the French, you know, they have no direct stake of this unit and they were still kind of reserved while the, Prime Minister of Malaysia, I don't know, it's uh, created a controversy because some people say, why would he go so far and to actually confirm, especially when you think about the families that are waiting for news, confirm that the, the piece of the aircraft is actually a piece of the aircraft. Do you, what's your take on that? I think I mean,
1: it's really, really interesting. I mean, the, the Prime Minister of Malaysia, as you say, was unequivocal in his assertions that this was from MH370. He gave yeah. those those three pieces of data that that you mentioned. And the French have, who are leading the investigation of the actual object, not the Malaysians, uh, have been uh, less definitive. Without ruling anything out, they've they've basically said it
0: is from the airplane without actually saying those words. And I think you, you you actually you uncovered. Sorry to interrupt you because you uncovered a Reddit thread that is very interesting. Because obviously, if this is a piece of a triple seven, and there's no other. 777 missing in the world, then obviously their link is really, really, really close, right? Because you don't invent a new 777. But there's this ready thread that you sent me. There are other 777 that might be this part might be coming off.
1: This this is a really staggering piece of work. And I know Reddit's going through a little bit of a, a transitional phase at the moment after a series of controversies. But this type of thing really shows the power of its community. There is a dedicated subreddit to MH370 and this uh, Redditor, he or she, I don't know, it doesn't really matter, uh, Co- pronounced Copernicus, spelt Copernicus, uh, very clever, did <laughs> an exhausting amount of research to determine that there are 43 sevens no longer in service, and then went through every single one of them to determine if the Flaperon wasn't from MH370, it could have been from five that are no longer in service because they were damaged or written off whether or not those planes, their wing was intact, whether or not the flaperon was intact. The, where, if they're in storage, if they've been scrapped, where they produce the, the flaperon actual component, a really, a really well done piece of research. And the comments are are good as well. And I think actually one of them speaks to this, to this hesitancy saying, this guy, top comment says, I firmly believe it's from MH370, but imagine if it isn't and the French prove it. The internet would explode.
0: Yeah, and that's also, I think, why uh, actually CNN said, uh, it was an op-ed, but said that uh, the, the prime minister was reckless because it's like you're playing with the feelings of the families yeah. and they've been waiting. I mean, for uh, for those who don't remember, the accident actually, I mean, the disappearance of the plane is March 2014. So it's a long, long, long time. And that's a hint of hope, but obviously, you don't want to give too much hope if this is nothing. I mean, let, 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 let's also say that the other pieces have actually suddenly appeared on the. Yes, uh, that's a very their,
1: important point to make at this stage. that there There's are a other
0: suitcase a su- uh, that, I, I mean, of course, like completely destroyed, but still clearly a suitcase. There's also a piece of a, a window. I mean, not the window, but the, the piece that is around mm. the window—an interior and,
1: panel. In, yeah,
0: correct. And there, and and the, and the guy who actually found them. This is actually quite interesting. Said that there were other pieces that have appeared in the past, but for him, he never thought they were coming out from a plane, and he just was about to clean the. the the, the seashore. So he actually burned all these other pieces of evidence. There must not have been like crucial piece of evidence, but obviously he might, I think he mentioned there was a part of a seat probably, or something like floating. Uh, He didn't realize it was part of the plane. So he just burned them down. So it could be that obviously if so many pieces come, it clearly comes from a crash site, right?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's other kind of detritus that's washing up as well uh, water bottles from countries uh, where uh, that that had passengers on the airplane um, quite a lot of china a disproportionate amount of Chinese objects or Chinese riding on objects in that part of the world uh, where generally the currents wouldn't take them in that direction, but they could be from you know China shipping vessels or something like that. so yeah exactly that
0: that type of stuff is a little little less. Compelling. And it's the, the other thing is it's, it's really far away from where, where we were all looking for, right? It it's is, like, but it
1: is it is where they thought and when they thought if anything was going to wash up, based on where we there. thought it was with the aircraft went down, this is where and when very generally it would wash up,
0: and sure enough, there it is. But then again, it doesn't mean that we can go back in time and try to modelize where they came well, from.
1: Well, that's the thing that I said to you as soon as this first came out, isn't it? It's like. Now what?
0: Yeah, you know exactly. There's a good article about on the verge. We said we kind of they the won over all the piece of evidence and said, okay, well, now what? Exactly. It's not because we found the pieces and maybe some other will actually appear that suddenly will be able to track down where the plane actually was. Yeah. I mean, though the pieces might give some evidence. There's already some theories. There's actually contesting theories because for the moment only the French, because they actually have the piece, can come up with something. Yeah. Probably they will ask Boeing to actually step in as well because they're you know they are the uh, aircraft manufacturer. But I've read two one says that because the flapron is in a one piece it must have been a low speed hit of the water yeah. and the other uh, the other the theory which comes for two two of them are professors so i mean they are they are credible the other person says no it must have been a high speed one otherwise that piece wouldn't have just take you know left the wing right. <laughs> i don't know we don't know
1: yeah exactly and i think that that's the thing but that analysis will be interesting because they sh- they will be able to look at the forces that were exerted on that piece of the, or those pieces of metal to determine a lot. Of, it's extraordinary what they, can,
0: um, what they can look at and ascertain from, yeah, from an yeah, innocuous from the, piece of metal. Correct. Exactly. So uh, we might have some more answers, not a clear full answer, but at least some more answers. Maybe, well, actually, maybe... We'll be sure that it was actually a crash, which is very likely. What type of crash we still don't know, but at least we might have something. So, well, I mean, we'll follow the story. Talking about which, uh, it's interesting that we mentioned in earlier episodes that uh, Christoph Müller is taken over the post of ceo of the airline uh the airline of course has suffered because of the disappearance of that plane and image 17 was we shot down over the skies of ukraine uh the 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 airline will have a change of entity on september 1st we mentioned also that they were firing a lot of people so we were kind of rebooting the airline but he, he mentioned uh in an article recently that the uh all these social media frenzy and sorry but we are probably part of it as well, because we discussed this. It was actually hurting the the airline right now.
1: Oh, yeah, but it's inevitable. It's unavoidable. There's nothing that they can do to stop that, and and we'll be tired them if they even try to suppress that conversation. I think that the only thing they can do is be upfront and frank about it and continue to – if anybody can do it, it's him. He has a track record of doing this. There was actually a really interesting airliners.net trip report from a – the, one of the premium cabins of a Malaysian Airlines A380 flight, and saying you could already see the differences in the product, both for, you know physical and soft product, as uh, you know that were that reflect his changes for the better, but okay. that the planes were uh, not full by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Which yeah, I guess so. I mean, a friend of mine just flown actually; he's flown to KL and back and coach but he said he was actually all right I mean nothing they, they were you know, a good to airline write, I mean that... yeah nothing to write home about but, I think, but nothing actually bad to write home about either and uh, and for those who actually are interested in flying them before they change entity there's actually currently they're do, running a, a flash sale on business class if you want to try their business class which
1: supposed to be the, the uh, food apparently is excellent
0: yeah it's very excellent so they come, it's, it's it ends in uh, September uh, 30th you still have time uh, I'll put the, the link in the show notes and you, you can obviously find uh, round trip fares from Asia to Asia from instance, to China for very good prices, actually. You can go to, uh, I think, from Singapore to Tokyo for less than a thousand Singaporean dollars. So it's wow. pretty cool pricing. So they're, they're also for Europe, but Europe is a bit more expensive. I'll put the link if you're interested. So what happens, I mean, does, does, with the entity change? Is it just a structural legal entity change or? or- That's for sure. That's for sure. The only thing that, because I think they they kind of putting the current liabilities in a shell company, the current existing company, they're, re- they're restarting a new one. Right. The the, the 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 unknown for all of us is, will they change, will they rebrand? Yeah. I mean, they, they clearly will rebrand somehow, but will they change the name of the airline? I mean, nobody knows. That's going to be really interesting to see. I, uh, I think they have to probably
1: somehow. Yeah. I, it, sadly, right? It but, does happen. I mean, one accident or issue... Maybe not, but two in a year, I think the brand is, is you
0: know. Yeah, no and you look at what before. happened to, you know, Swissair, Air, which uh, was called Suisse Air. Now it's called Swiss International Airlines. So still people call it, you know, they kept, so probably they won't go into something completely new, but they will start of Malaysian airline, Malaysian airways, or, yeah. you know, it might, it might just be something very small, but still to hint at the fact that it's a new company.
1: It'll be very interesting to see what they do.
0: The other big story is the one we keep talking about every episode is the US-3 versus the ME-3. So, the US is in the Middle East. Uh, so, Qatar has finally come out with its own report, its own answer to the accusations that, of subsidies that the three major airlines have been uh, telling uh, about these uh, all the airlines in the Middle East. Have you read the report? Not the whole thing. <laughs> no, not either. Because it's... it's uh, so, let's... Out of the three reports out yet, so Etihad hasn't really done a report with some kind. Of course, Emirates has come out full guns blazing yeah. with a lot of reports, a lot of answers. This is, a, I mean, it's pretty well done. Uh, they it really, you know, again, said there's no subsidies. It says that it doesn't really compete with any U.S. carriers on any nonstop routes. I repeat the arguments that they've been saying that it serves routes that the U.S. are serving. Yeah. The U.S. is looking mostly east and they're looking mostly west from the U.S. if you look at it. But the one thing, though, that I would say is, and that's, uh, I spotted that on a, on a thread on airliners.net, which is a very good uh, source of uh, information for people that really know the industry. Uh, you can see in the report itself, uh, I mean, you can infer from the report itself that Qatar Airways clearly lost uh, $160 million over its lifetime, which is not a lot, but still they lost money. Uh, they made only maybe $40 million over the last three years, so they are not making like still a lot of money. And the commenter said, "Not a company that you would think can afford a one point seven billion investment in IAG or five billion worth dollars of new aircraft." Right. Yeah, there is some. I mean, let's be honest here. There is clearly uh, something to that comment.
1: Yeah, there is uh, the aircraft one. I don't. I dismiss outright because all of those, as as you mentioned in the last episode about the uh, the way that air, air, airlines finance aircraft, it doesn't really. Work like that. You can make an order for, you know, a ten billion dollar aircraft order. That doesn't mean you need to write a check for ten billion dollars right there and then. It just right. does not work like that. But the investment in IAG or the acquisition of IAG, as well as all of the other I, it would be very interesting to know where that money comes from.
0: Yeah, I think let's be honest. Out of the three ones, uh, so Etihad, Emirates, and Qatar, Qatar's are the ones that are. If there was a gradient. Grad, if you want to grade the kind of defense you can do, Qatar is the one that is the uh, most difficult to, uh, to defend. There must have been, again, let's be clear. We are not per se against subsidies because we, I mean, at least I believe that all airlines have received in their past or currently still receive, look at China and other places, subsidies. Absolutely. Uh, at what time it becomes unfair? That's the old question. Uh, the U.S. airlines themselves have received a lot of money, but it's true that if you just take the argument of, did we receive subsidies? Are those fair and unfair? Mm. Qatar seems to have received uh, quite uh, a bit of aid. I'm not going to call them subsidies because then we're going to go into another debate, but maybe, probably. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Etihad, actually, the CEO of Etihad, James Hogan, uh, was interviewed by Skift. It's a pretty cool interview. I'll put the link. Yeah, really uh, interesting interview. He said, We represent 0.0006% of seats in and out of the US. <laughs> Well, and obviously then he said, well, so the U.S. battling us is just protectionism because, come on, we're not a huge airline compared to you It's interesting because the Qatar Airways
1: mentions that as well. They say uh, it's puzzling to see the biggest U.S. carriers describe Qatar Airways as a threat given our small size and lack of direct competition with them. I I find it weird that they are de-emphasizing themselves as a threat to the U.S. carriers. That's not really what this argument is about.
0: No, but I mean, then again, out of the three, we everybody kind of knows that Emirates is the one that really is scarier, right? Yeah, Uh, in terms of pure competition, not in terms of subsidies. Now, if you're talking because I I believe out of the three, Emirates is the most mature company. They actually are a very profitable company. They're expanding their routes. They are the biggest threat, and uh, and I don't think they're looking to go into an an alliance as well, which the Americans would love that. So I think this is probably why. The other, you know, I've tried to de-emphasize their role because they are truly much smaller. Yeah, than Emirates. it's
1: true. It's true. I just, I, think I, I just, I wonder if that's a good tactic.
0: Yeah, probably. Well, and one thing that James Hogan said as well in an interview, he said uh, that they are not in alliance. Uh, they are a large aviation group. They say actually they are their fifth largest aviation group in the world. I didn't know that. Wow. Well, given
1: uh, all of the uh, carriers, they have a stake in. I, I can, I can see that.
0: But the thing about alliance again here, like Emirates, is that they say, uh, "He says, sorry, we couldn't enter any alliance, being a uh, because they want to be a dominant player. So if, if there's another dominant player, they just don't want to. They're not interested. So basically, that kind of translates into we will not enter an alliance. Mm. We'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see uh, what they what they what they're going to do in terms of uh, still on that debate. There's a new team in a debate in the U.S. Yeah, this All was right.
1: very interesting. It just made the whole debate slightly more colorful. There is a group uh, of U.S. airlines that has joined together and come out vocally against the U.S. carriers. Now, these are American airlines that have come out and said, no, you're wrong. Uh, they want them to renegotiate the the open sky stuff. And so it's JetBlue, Hawaiian Airlines, Atlas and FedEx. The latter two are, are predominantly cargo carriers. And they have come out guns a-blazing, saying the big three do not speak for all or even most US airlines. Uh, on our coalition, this sort of anti US three coalition, believes that the US should honor its open skies commitments, which opens markets for US carriers, promotes competition on international and domestic routes. And I think that, to me, this is the most important one, facilitates US exports. I think that's the one that's getting overlooked the most by the big three,
0: the US three. Um, JetBlue, uh, the, the, the general counselor of JetBlue had a nice quote. He said, JetBlue is not unfamiliar with efforts of the legacy carriers to stifle competition. Lovely comp- <laughs> I Lovely. I love
1: and I think somebody asked me uh, why Virgin America and Southwest and some of the other U.S. airlines aren't participating in this. And my immediate reaction is that less for, for VX, but more certainly for uh, Southwest, they don't really have any code share partners or any inbound. that this. So this is kind of irrelevant for them. I agree. Um, Yeah, probably right. And probably not worth their time and energy getting involved in a scrap, which is almost purely about international
0: traffic, of which they have really none. Yeah, really none. Absolutely, you're right. Uh, uh, Actually, there was another article. Now, I don't have the source right in front of me. Again, I'll put them in the show notes, that it said that uh, in that same breath, so that same is called the US Airlines for Open Skies. That's the name of that new alliance we're talking about. And they said they were wary that there might be, uh, this whole thing is provoking the UAE and Qatar to respond with restriction back, uh, for, for U.S. careers. Uh, that's FedEx, for instance. If FedEx would actually suffer, they could actually, you know, absolutely, they, had some they kind have of
1: huge operations in the Middle East.
0: And, uh, but also the, and that's interesting. The letter, and I'm just going to quote here, the letter notes that the U.S. military uses commercial airlines to ship supplies for U.S. troops in the Persian Gulf. I never thought about that one, actually. That's delicate, isn't it? Yeah, it's very delicate. I, I, I mean, of course, here we're talking about one coalition firing you know, arguments against the other. But still, it's, it's an important argument, I think. We cannot just uh, overlook it entirely. It's interesting that you know, they have coalized together to actually have a, you know, a common front now against the legacy carry. It becomes more and more interesting by the day. Yeah. So I love that.
1: <laughs> and it does, we've heard nothing really from the government either about when this
0: will be addressed, if at all. I think they will have to at some point. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's so intense lobbying. I mean, the airlines have, especially the legacy carriers, have very good rapport with uh, congressmen uh, and congresswomen. So I'm sure... There the will be pressure to have something. Maybe it won't be the renegotiation of open skies, but I mean, this is a process. We'll we'll hear again about about this. Uh, this is what we keep hearing them. I mean, it might be the summer now, meaning well, it's and no, we're, less likely we're into
1: the very, very, very long American election cycle now. Right. So I wonder right. if anything's going to happen.
0: You're right. Uh, we also mentioned last episode about, you know, this potential collusion between the legacy careers and that the Department of Justice in the U.S. was looking into. And there's this uh, blog I follow called Cranky Flyer. Uh, I kind of live because he's a bit abrasive about uh, in his, in his opinions, but he said, (laughs) but he said something interesting. He said, yeah, that there's, uh, you know, Wall Street. I'm going to quote Wall Street, in fact, is not happy that the airlines are actually trying to compete with each other. That's keeping fares lower. And that means some analysts think the airlines are not doing everything they can to maximize profits. Yeah, he's not, he, you know, he's not wrong there. No, he's not There's wrong some, at
1: all. No, wrong at he's all. He's not wrong at all. It's uh, it's it's true, yeah. And I think something is the numbers don't add up in all of this argument. And I, you know, you look at the profits the U.S. airlines, the big U.S. airlines have been posting in the last few years. Wow. And yeah, then this argument, it and then this sort of protectionism, whispers come in, there's the numbers don't add up. And so I, I agree. you know, people like Brett are very good at picking this type of thing apart and going, hang on a minute. And then, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, so, you know, good on him but for I, writing
0: that. I, I, another company that is actually involved somehow in this fight. We also mentioned last week that the uh, last episode that the uh, import export bank was part of yeah. this whole thing. Boeing, uh, the chairman of Boeing came out and said that they will consider moving key parts of uh, Boeing's operation to other countries if Congress doesn't start to renew that export-import bank, which, to recall, has a role into helping other countries finance their uh, buying aircrafts, for instance. So, wow. That's that's quite a that's a big threat. And I think that uh, that will get some action out of it. And uh, coming back to what you said yourself about the, uh, you know, the, the offering new businesses uh, way outside, he said every time a triple seven lands in Beijing, it takes seven or eight thousand small businesses to Beijing, and none of those would have a chance to export without us. Yeah. That's again determinant of point. That, I think he's right. That export uh, thread or leverage or whatever you want
1: to call it is actually something that the Heathrow runway campaign has also been using heavily. I, I, with that Heathrow a couple of days ago, I don't know if you saw this as well, but there's one of the big billboards as you're leaving the airport says a third runway would give a hundred thousand British businesses access to export opportunities. Yep, exactly. Um, so yes. it's, it's, I mean, I think it's a good metric. It's a, it's a good economic driver.
0: Driver. Absolutely. Agree
1: especially for a country like the UK.
0: The irony department, uh, Delta, which is, is of course, part of like, say, oh, all the other airlines are being subsidized, actually bought a stake in China Eastern Airlines, which you might not know that people listening to this show is the most subsidized airline in China. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I don't
1: even know how to react to that. (laughs) It's you know, do what I say, not what I do, right?
0: But then again, I mean, if you just on a business side, they're right. They're they're right to do that. I mean, China yes, is a sure. big market. They have the totally right to enter. There's no open sky agreement with China, so it's a one to one. That's why they just bought three point fifty five percent. It's a very small stake, because it cannot have the all immunity system. Uh, you can listen to past episodes or isn't like that, but basically they But still it makes business sense. A, so they're right but, to do that. But
1: you you know, there is no open sky agreement, but you can't have a bigger tie-up with antitrust immunity until there is an open skies agreement Sky. with China yes. in place. Which is the one – and they're fighting these open uh, skies. Yeah. Which is- so it's like, which one do you want, guys? It can't, it can't happen both ways. And actually, I think we'll touch on this a little bit later, but uh, Delta were one of the bidders for a piece of Skymark, the airline in Japan. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Go ahead with that story. Go ahead.
1: They didn't get it. They bid yeah, for they it, but, it, but did not get it. a uh, and the largest airline in Japan, got it and will will take a, a controlling interest, although not a majority interest in the airline, which will see them. So it's still unclear what's going to happen
0: to those A380s that were on yeah, order. Because apparently, uh, the thing is, so Delta uh, was winning the negotiations. Delta was about to enter into Skymark's capital, so saving the airline for out of bankruptcy. But apparently the rumor is that in a talked to Airbus and said they will get the A380. That's a rumor. That, I mean, it, it's pretty compelling. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, I, I'm sure that's a huge driver because if Airbus doesn't know what to do with his A380s, right, it's a huge. They have, I think it was six A380s that they, they I, don't, yeah, I don't recall like right that. now, something like that. But I think six, it, I'm sure yeah, it's a big, it's a big part of the argument that you say, oh, you know what, we're actually going to buy them. I mean, again, with all the lease system, etc., but they're actually going to acquire them, which, first of all, would mean that we have ah, finally uh, a, new, uh, you know, a new airline having Air 380s, plus it's in Japan. No no other airline has one. I mean, we'll see. We'll talk about the Air 380 a little bit later, but that's interesting. But again, Delta here was right to look into business opportunities abroad. Uh, so it's like you said, it's not what I do, what I say, but not what I Yeah, it's,
1: it's crazy. So I, I mean, that's great for Skymark and, and for ANA. Uh, they're going to put in a ton of money. They're going to put about 18 billion yen into into Skymark, which will be uh, much needed, I'm sure.
0: Very quickly, my favorite small airline in Japan is called Starflyer. I love flying them. Uh, I'll put again maybe the video of their uh, in-flight safety video. They really love it. They made a small profit, even though passengers down I really Hope you guys have to fly it because i really hope it survives they're one very cool yeah airline. very cool airline i really hope uh, that they uh they will uh, survive because it's a very it seems to be more and more like in every market but more and more uh tough market uh with all new these low-cost airlines one after the other yeah. popping up actually i was you know i was in dublin yesterday and so i was were a little bit late so i was waiting on a on the runway and there's so many of those airlines i've never heard about yeah i see like these names on the on, on on the metal tube, and I'm like, who are they? <laughs> I was googling them. I was like, no idea who they were. I think so many of those small, low-cost airlines uh, do dedicated routes. I mean, we'll talk about Dublin a bit later, but it's it was interesting. Uh, China, uh, first of all, just a wacky story. There's been a uh, uh, not China Eastern, but China Southern Airlines, uh, Flight Three Hundred Three. Uh, actually had to make an emergency landing in Amsterdam uh, because he didn't have enough fuel to reach London. Yikes. <laughs> wow. But so apparently, that was, the story, when I put it in the news, because uh, people listening to us, you might know, if you don't, you're learning now. We have this kind of sheet where we put all the news we see and we, we found interesting. The story developed between the time I put it in now. Apparently, it was because there's a reason. It was because he had to avoid Chinese military activity, It was said it was already, you know, like flying. So I'm sure it had to make like a detour. That's weird and slightly alarming. Yeah, still. It was a uh, 787. Talking about delays in China, uh, the the, the Chinese airlines are not the only ones being suffering from it. Yeah,
1: this is a really interesting move. And I think there's more than meets the eye to this story. But apparently, the delays. in and out of China have gotten so bad, even for Cathay, that Cathay have decided to severely reduce the flights between Hong Kong and Shanghai because they were so routinely delayed between the two cities. There were 230 flight delays. And when an airline actually calls it a delay, it means to you and I a, big a delay because <laughs> they'll, you know, they use the word on time with phrase "on time," very liberally, <laughs> <You know? laughs> So for them to say 230 de- delays in in uh, in two months is pretty amazing, and they've said that they are re- quote reassessing their schedules. Um, and there was one yes. flight, the Hong Kong Airlines flight, that was delayed for eight hours. Wow, that's because not, yeah, that's- of Chinese air traffic, and so they've just said, "Look, we're going to pull back on this and." figure out if we actually want to do this and if it's right for our staff and our passengers to have to deal with this.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, that's... Uh, so if you fly to China, especially if you fly CX, well, be warned that some of the flights are... There. The intensity of the routes might be less than usual. So, but I mean, it, we, we'll have probably to cover one day there because it's not the first time you hear about it. There's a lot. Of, it's just a glut. Yeah, there's so much traffic over China. There's not enough capacity at airports and also the routes yeah. because a lot of it is actually military airspace unbeknownst uh, to a lot of people. So that creates a, a glut over over Chinese yeah. airspace. I mean,
1: so it's important. I think it's important to point out here that Cathay are not reducing. Capacity. They're reducing frequency. Frequency. Yeah. So they're they're, they're yeah they're putting bigger airplanes on the route. I think. I mean the smallest airplane they have is a A330. So they must be yeah. putting well
0: seven 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 three hundred. That's the biggest airplane they have. <laughs> they have. Yeah. I think that's the one they would put. I don't know. I haven't followed. I'm sure if we go on airline, we'll learn about. Yeah.
1: that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, two other quick piece of news about China. First, it's just I found that truly totally randomly. I mean, usually when weather's like uh terrorist attempts or at least you know attacks in planes, we hear about them. Apparently there was a flight, uh, a, a, such an attempt by an arsonist in a flight what was it? New uh airline, which I've never had heard about before. Uh there was some guy who tried to put uh his seat on fire twice uh Wow, but and the story is that since the crew uh was able to stop him and was able to restrain him so uh and they got a, a pretty good uh bonus out of their good actions so that's a cool story to hear about I,
1: he so the the what's alarming about
0: this is he managed to bring gas yeah, a lighter okay, sir, and a and knife. A on so the lighter, I mean, I get it because most, you know, most, most in most countries, if you have cigarettes, you can bring a lighter. But I mean, a gas canister—what are we talking about? Yeah, <laughs> it's and a knife. I mean, it's it's yeah, and a knife. Yeah, well, of course. So crazy. and you see the picture? I'll put the, the, the there are pictures of the seat. You can see that they actually there was there must have been some kind of fire starting because the the, the seat is clearly burnt out a little bit. So. Yeah. Uh, Wow, and twice. That's the thing I don't understand. Whether the first but, time it mean, yeah, just quite calmed on and you started again. I mean, we're not sure, but still. Nice gesture from the the, the management of the company to give a bonus to the crew uh for having uh, uh stopped it. Yeah, because that, that could have ended a lot worse than it did. And another thing, uh you know, as a frequent flyer myself, and you too, you one of the most frequent signs I see in airports, the Swiss sign is not the Swiss it's the little Swiss flag, is because of Swiss sports. Yes, the Swiss yeah, sport is this company of, they are in, I think, 48 countries, so they are everywhere. They do catering, handling, et cetera, et cetera. The news that I read in the New York Times is that uh, it will probably be bought by a Chinese company, Haiyan Airlines of China, which already has a lot of stakes in other, actually, uh, foreign airline industry companies, for $2.8 billion. Wow. I hope they keep the little Swiss flag.
1: Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. I wonder if they will.
0: Uh, so we did Japan. Oh yeah, uh, just to follow up to a story, uh, you were following the story about Azul, the airline in Brazil, and I think you sent me a story that these with the Azul and Tap will have some kind of yes. Yeah, so, so, as
1: as you'll remember, the the former former founder and CEO of JetBlue, who founded Azul in Portugal, his consortium won the right to acquire Tap Portugal, and now they uh, have kind of formally announced what we all assumed that they would have they'll become sister airlines and will feed off of each other it's a natural synergy on almost every level language geography aircraft frequency schedule so they've just come out and said that they see this as a really really complementary relationship and they will be they will make it, be making no bones about it they're they're pushing it in this direction yeah, probably be also like a freaking flyer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much operationally and, and from a customer experience, I think the traveling between the two, which is great, because that links a lot of Europe with a lot of South America. Yeah, it's
0: exactly. Very, if very are Flying there, it might be actually smart to look at, the, at this when it happens, because it could be actually very competitive and also have a very good ways to actually connect in, in Brazil to go somewhere else very quickly yeah, and exactly. very efficiently. Because sometimes it's not. We mentioned a uh, Rio airport last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, back to China of sorts. <clears throat> so you must have heard there were stories about Chinese hackers having hacked into so many systems in the US, including the government's Office of Personal Management still stole like, millions of identities and information stuff. Yeah. But there's been a story that actually, are they the same hackers or not, we don't know. But there's United Airlines Systems, that the hackers were within that system for a full year. United didn't see it. Amazing story. How is that I mean, possible? Exactly. And then the next day, another story, Sabre said that, yes, they were hacked by Chinese hackers. And American Airlines is looking into their systems because they believe they might have been as well. My goodness. I mean. Wow.
1: Sabre, I, I mean, who are the backbone of so much of the distribution for airlines all over the world.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, right? Oh, for- I mean, um, I mean, we know these are legacy softwares and we know probably, but I mean, this raises, I mean, this is not something that us as c- consumers have a direct impact, of, but obviously I don't want my information being stolen, especially if credit not. cards and everything, you know, because sometimes you can, you put your credit card on these freaking flyer programs because you want to do the whole booking faster. I might, you know, you might think twice and say, I might, I might remove that and most of my information from these programs. Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's worth thinking about. Uh, but United, uh, we mentioned that a few, I think five or six episodes ago, uh, United has uh, opened a system of bounty. So companies like Google, Yahoo, Microsoft, and other, you do bounty for, you know, you found bugs. And you know, if you found bugs and you reveal them to the company, they will pay you money or give you some kind of uh, incentive. And United did, uh, decided to do that and offer miles. And actually two people won one million miles. So wow, that's a good I think that's a good thing from UA that did that they actually offered miles and they actually, actually did through it. To yeah, their they, words
1: and they actually did yeah, it. Yeah that that that's the that's the I mean I should we shouldn't be surprised but yeah they they actually did. No it's did good. It. good
0: for them and I think other companies should do that. I think it's a proper way to you know enroll you know white hat uh hackers to actually try to break into their systems and probably to find maybe also these other hackers are inside yeah. like the Chinese we just mentioned. I so think they've not? already <laughs> seen the value. Yeah, I think exactly. I, think I encourage other companies to do the same. Uh, one of the other stories that everybody talked about last week, unrelated to airlines, was of course the killing of that lion in Zimbabwe called Cecile. We're not going to talk about this. It was, uh, for three days, everybody was just talking about yeah. that with good reason, by the way. But, uh, the, the link with airlines is that actually many airlines have actually now decided to, uh, ban the the transportation of trophy hunting kills. Mm-hmm. So that's Air France KLM, Iberia, IAJ Cargo, Singapore Quantas, and the latest is Delta. Good thing. Yeah. It's a good way to do it. So now uh let me go to a little bit of luxury. Uh it's interesting that, you know, the <laughs> again talking about American Airlines, the American Airlines are criticizing these big, fat, you know, Middle Eastern Airlines for having these crazy products that they are impossible to copy, etc. <laughs> and then I read the thing that apparently Delta, it will now start to offer a uh, new type of upgrades, a new type of product, which is basically a private jet. So instead of having, if you're upgrading you to the highest class, uh, they will offer a, a even better service, which will be small corporate aircrafts, and you can link back to your city. Obviously, this is reserved to a very a small elite of freaking flyers for Delta, but I mean, come on, they're thinking about a product, a, 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 almost a private jet for you. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it's important to point out that Delta have a already existing fractional yep. ownership um, and 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 private jet company that's been going on for for a long time. So this is just a natural extension of that, which might actually be hurting. Um, this might be the way that they're doing it just to drive drive a little bit more traffic to it. So. But yeah, it's again another from from the Department it's a nice, of irony. It's a, it's yeah, a it's nice very, thing. very I mean, cool. Don't don't get me wrong, I wouldn't turn
0: it down. It's not a it's not a free upgrade. I mean, even you have to pay for the upgrade. I think I've, I said it's between three hundred and eight hundred dollars the upgrade, but you know, for some links it might be actually worth it, especially if you don't really care about paying eight hundred dollars. Yeah, that's <laughs> a pretty pretty good deal. And it made me look into if that happens for other airlines. And I was surprised to know that Air France does the same thing. It's called it's a Business Just Connection. So it's a service for its first class passengers. So again, I, I told the story, uh, I think it was last episode, about the feeder system of Air France. So all the, the big premium planes from the long haul arrives in Paris. And then, you know, they fly people back to their cities and vice versa. And for cities that might not have... a, a enough capacity or because the links are not that often during the day. And simply because some of their passengers are very high-end passengers, they are actually offering the same service. they go now probably the funny thing is most of the destinations are actually in Switzerland, Geneva, for instance. So and huh. you'll have same service, a, a small corporate jet, very luxurious. And this is actually free this time. It's this really a service the offer on top. Of you of course already you pay first class, but that exists already. So it's interesting.
1: And one of the things that I think uh popped up in my feed a couple of days ago was uh, Sam Chewy, who's a wonderful airline photographer. Any any good photo- photograph on airliners.net, there's a damn good chance that he took it. Um, he posted a trip report recently for Han Air, H-A-H-N Air, uh, who are based in Dusseldorf. And they have one-way flights between Dusseldorf and Luxembourg for 180 euros. That they just fly back and forth uh, once a day to keep their charter operation ticket, li- their wow. license. And he said, "Yeah, I was the only one. It was like having my own airplane. But you check in at the airport. It's, uh, it was, it was really, really cool. I'll, I'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes because oh, this is really cool. 180 wow. euros, man. I'm there. No, that's nothing.
0: <laughs> that's actually nothing. Uh, we have to try that. Yeah, out. exactly." Definitely. Uh, Air France is uh, thinking about expanding that service it, actually in other countries, especially China. So if you were to land in China as a premium passenger of Air France, you might have in the future a possibility to connect to other cities in China with a small corporate jet. I think it's you know shows that, again, these passengers in the front of the cabin are very high yield, uh, so it's worth pampering them probably. Yeah. Uh, talking about that, uh, talking about the reaction of uh, to the Middle East, uh, Lufthansa will introduce, will change the way it delivers uh, its service and its sort of business product. I've never been in business long haul with Lufthansa, believe it or not, so I cannot really judge it, but they say they will do stuff like... Uh, saying hi with your name when you arrive in a plane. They will actually not showing you, you know, the tray when they actually deliver food, but they actually directly deliver to your seat stuff that you see in other airlines already. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, well they're they, upping up their game. They have probably no choice. If you're interested, though, in flying even better with uh, Lufthansa, uh, there's a, a website I, I, you should always check if you like Lufthansa. It's called Lufthansa Flyer. I put the link. Uh, the, it showed up that there's a first class fare sale if you're interested in certain things. But it's a, a two to one, so basically you buy two tickets and you pay only one. So That's actually, might be worth. Good, rest- yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty good. Uh, it only starts in Austria, sadly. So you have to start in Austria. But I mean, come on, you could go. You can go to Hong Kong for two thousand. Five hundred euros or something, if I remember correctly. So first class. So That's if any one of all. the listeners are interested in first class, well, there's something to it. Uh, switching gears, uh, there's, uh, I mean, Alex and I, we both are, you know, subscribers who so shit ton of systems to get our, you know, good deals, including the premium deals. So you get a lot of. Notifications and or emails and or any other stuff. I'm not actually having any SMS notifications on. You. Uh, do you? No. Do you do that? No. <laughs> but initially, there was a small report I read that is pretty interesting to show that actually most airlines and most people, most companies in the air travel industry are misusing that channel to the point that, you know, that's the one I turn them off. This is why I'm turning off. They actually are not useful for the passengers. It said that, no. uh, actually up to a third of the people what by receiving these uh, noti- these bad notifications might just delete the app yikes yikes yeah meaning that guys if you're into thinking into the passenger experience the customer experience i mean talk to Alex and myself because we will tell you not to send random messages Absolutely. To i think
1: the only time i would ever welcome a, uh, a, a either a push notification or a, an sms is for operational reasons i e Schedule change, cancellation, gate change, terminal change, equipment change—something like that. That's the only time where I would go. Wow, thank you for telling me that.
0: Otherwise, it's yeah. just piss off. Yeah, exactly, exactly, absolutely. And uh, actually, I was, for instance, I was using um, BA's uh, app uh, for for the first time in a long time. Actually, uh, to go from London uh, Terminal Five to Dublin and back. And in, in London, it's pretty cool, because they actually they must be using beacons because they were actually accompanying me through my journey in T five, and there was a small thing telling me, "Oh, uh, welcome to this part of the airport." Yep. And then there was another message telling me, "Oh, the gate is announced, so here's the gate, and stuff like their that." Their app is good. good. I like their app a lot. I think this is useful mm. because you know I could You know, they would tell me uh, on the way back there was a delay. The app told me about the delay as well, so it's pretty well done. So back to a big aircraft that we both love, although it's not the most beautiful A380. So you, you just mentioned it with the SkyMars story. Uh, but you had also found a story a few well now it's a month ago that uh, Emirates was introducing uh, Dubai-Copenhagen flight with only two classes. So they were getting rid for the first time. They will get rid of the first class on an A380. So I mean, no more of these fancy showers I took a shower in a few weeks ago. <laughs> And the seat map has been revealed, and uh, honestly, it makes no sense to me. So (laughs) the the thing thing is nice. So if any one of you is traveling Emirates ever and wants or or would love to fly an A three hundred and eighty, usually in many airlines, uh, coach will be on the lower deck or on the upper deck, but at the back. But Emirates is simply actually getting rid of the first class, which is on the upper deck in front, and putting. Coach seats there, so basically you'll be able to be very far in the seats in the big uh, staircase that is in front. So that will nice. When I say it doesn't make sense to me, is that the numbering doesn't seem to make any sense. The seats upstairs start at fifty three or something, and then they start again at, a diff, uh, at six for business passengers. It doesn't? Yeah, I don't understand it.
1: I know that Singapore do mix class on the upper deck as well. There was there's some business class and some economy. Yeah, but the economy would be in the back. Uh, I don't remember. I'll have to check on Seeker at some time. And- because
0: one what, what, one thing that is for those who have never flown in the front of any cabin, it's always uh, especially in terms of turbulences, the front is less shaky. That's certainly than the back. true. At, at the so, towards the tail uh, is yes. So at the if you are in the A380 on top. So on the upper deck, you'll barely feel any type of turbulences. It's, it's it's a luxury by itself. So, I mean, I'm not here telling you to encourage you to fly Emirates just for that. But, I mean, if you ever fly that, uh, try to get to the upper deck instead of the lower deck. I think you make a better deal. Uh, plus, it's going to be a smaller cabin, obviously, on the upper deck. Yeah. Which also means that they will retain for business passengers the bar at the end. <laughs> I think that's, the reason, that's the reason I think they kept... The way it is because the bar the way it's, it's 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 uh created actually fits the back of the upper cabin it could maybe fit it that in the front sense. of the but anyway so there you go uh three hundred and eighty and emirates uh we were all excited that you know oh three eighty Neo will be built for emirates but apparently uh the airbus is kind of not backtracking by saying uh, no decision has been made yet
1: that's weird why would you do that i don't know what do you think i don't know is there's it- there's
0: Bizarre, right? Yeah.
1: I'd like to know the, the rationale or the
0: be a fly on the wall of those discussions. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But the thing, though, that really you found it that was we discussed as well a lot, few, few maybe even long episodes ago about Erber's thinking of putting a different uh, layout on the a So instead of having an economy Ten seats abreast. Abreast means so ten seats in a single row. I mean, eleven of them, and there was a huge uproar that it was a disaster and everything. And actually, there's a new plan you just found a layout, an actual layout. Yeah, this it's is actually a pat- clever. Yeah,
1: it's very clever. It's a patent that has been submitted, and it shows how they intend to do this eleven across. And it is, as you say, quite clever because the two window seats are slightly raised. And I assume that is to accommodate the curve of the fuselage as it, exactly, as it curves up. Exactly. So they can fit without
0: compromising on seat width uh, too much. And also, no, also, not only on your seat width, but if I remember there was a picture taken back then when the 11 seat breast was proposed, and you'd see that your feet are in the curvature of the plane and that you couldn't actually put your two Two feet next to each other because it was so much curved yeah. under you. So by raising it, they actually getting rid of. They're getting of that rid program.
1: of that issue. Yeah, it's 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 a that's
0: an interesting, simple thing. but very very clever solution to this.
1: And and it, it doesn't mean that it will be very compact. No, it's still eighteen. It's still eighteen inches wide each seat, and also would so it's it would be three five three three seats then five seats and three seats. I really would not want to be that person in the middle of the
0: five. That's awful. <laughs> but apparently, the five one will be 18 inches, but the three will be 17. So you'll have slight, I mean, it's one inch, and that makes a huge difference. But you'll have slightly less width off your seat in the rows next to the windows. And the one in the middle, you'll have slightly more. Uh, to comparison, uh, the 10 abreast and the 787, 10 or 9 abreast, I don't remember now. It's 16.9. Apparently, it's in, it's horrible. That's not, that's, yeah, that's gross. I don't want to fly that. I, I want to fly, I've, we, Alex and I have never flown a 787, seven, a Dreamliner. Somehow. I'm going to find one where our coach is actually, you know, has less seats because I'm just going to die or something.
1: Yeah. It's, well, Virgin <laughs> Atlantic is, through, is nine, nine abreast in economy.
0: Okay. <clears throat> but you haven't flown them yet? Nope. Not yet. You have to find a way to do that. I found you a nice ticket to, go to know, San Francisco. I know. I know. So we found. A, I think it was a friend of mine, uh, Mark Schmugger, who put that on Facebook. It, there's a Oslo San Francisco return business class for 555 years. And uh, the
1: guys on Flyer oh, talk, that it. just lit up, and so they were all waiting with bated breath to see if those tickets would actually be honored. And I haven't actually gone back to check to see if they were.
0: Yeah. Well, but. I don't know if it was, do you think it was a mistake yeah, there? Or sure it, was like it, was it was an offer. It was fat fingered. Yeah, because 555 euros in business class return, that's pretty cool. It's it's a cool deal, right? So I was, asked, I directly sent that to Alex and said, okay, here, you can go back to San Francisco quickly and for cheap, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad at myself for not doing that. <laughs> Uh well then again it's always hard to make plans if you're not sure the the fair will be honored. Yeah. Because you're like
1: Yeah, exactly. Especially if I told
0: my wife and our two
1: kids, "Hey, we're going." Oh, wait, no we're not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh qu- qu- talking about still the Air- Airbus it was um liham which is a, that's a very good source of information about the industry itself had posted an update of the market share between airbus and boeing and interestingly actually it seems that uh boeing is narrowly winning the half the first half year uh but not a single a3d was, was sold obviously a lot of a shit ton of a320 uh, neos were sold that's the most sold aircraft in the first six months of this year the second one is a 737-800 and then uh, the A three two twenty one. You know, yeah. I found so, this
1: yeah. that chart a little confusing because under the uh, Boeing section, he has the seven thirty seven dash
0: eight and the seven thirty seven dash eight hundred. Hundreds, yes, me too. I wasn't sure what's how do you make the difference. Maybe there are two versions, but I don't, I don't think I, don't, I don't, don't understand that. I don't know either. I didn't understand that either. But even if you put these numbers together uh that would mean that the 737-8 or 800 is actually winning over the a320 neo but any of the 30 neo you add to the a320 current version i mean honestly but the point is that overall uh, Airbus is slightly hedging um yeah. uh the boeing but that doesn't mean anything so every year it's like a fistfight for that A new market is just open iran uh we'll see what happens there's uh, Iran Air is already looking into discussions with both boeing and Airbus to finally renew its fleet after years and years of embargoes, So that would be interesting to follow. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think we can expect to hear some orders pretty soon. Yes, exactly.
0: The next one is fun. We've just talked about the BD if we had to fly an 11 abreast on uh, an A380, which means for long hours. And I've seen this thing. It's called Air Hook. So uh, have, you, have you have you taken a look? Yeah, at it's it's interesting. It's, it's pretty interesting. So it is. I don't know how to describe that. It. It's, it's because it's it's a small thing you put in front of your seat. Oh, sorry, in the seat in front of you, you attached it to the tray, but the tray in a, in a closed position, not in open position, and it has a little holder for a cup, and it has a holder for a, a, a tablet. So basically, it, it allows you to have in front of you, of course, a cup holder first of all, but it allows you to have. Uh, I, I- view of your tablets. to watch, create your own kind of I- IFE inside a plane, and it's very cheap. I think it's like twenty-two dollars. Yeah, it's clever. It's very clever. It's clever. So I'll put the link if anyone, guys, you want to check it out. If you if you have to fly long haul, there's no IFE because that happens. Or even like medium haul, there's no IFE. For instance, I always remember flying from uh, London to Cyprus. It's uh, almost it's a, almost a six hours flight. There's no IFE at all. I mean, of course, I would use an iPad or my MacBook to, to watch movie or something. But this is, you know, for $20, it also means that if the person in front of you reclines, uh, that thing is still high enough to, for you to watch the uh, your whatever entertainment you have in front of you. I, th- I think it's, yeah. it's pretty interesting to, to do a nice little piece of invent- inventivity here. But talking about inventivity, much more like, so the Concorde is no longer with us. But, but, oh yeah, I wish I could find it. Have you ever been in one, even if it's a Yes. I've never been. Where is, where is the, where's where's the nearest one here in the UK? We can do that.
1: There, there is a couple. There's one at the uh, Duxford Museum um, mm-hmm. in Cambridgeshire. And there is one at the, oh gosh, what is it called? Inside the M25 um, in, in Surrey, there's a really good... Um, Motor Museum that also has one. They do actually do really oh, wow. good, really good display, and some a lot of good old civil avi civil airliners that you can crawl around in.
0: Oh, cool! Are they with the original BA interior and yes. everything? Or oh, wow, yep. that's cool. I have to do. I have to check that because Airbus apparently has just patented a new super, 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 super sonic because it's like crazy, right? Yes, Brooklyn's Museum. That was driving me crazy. Brooklyn's
1: Museum is <laughs> a great place if you're an airplane or or, or car person. Go there. Yeah, so Airbus have just done this patent, and patents don't mean anything. Let's just put that out there right now. But they've basically patented a hypersonic jet that looks a lot like, uh, or very similar to Spaceship Two. Uh, scale composites thing, and apparently it looks
0: like for, for me for me it looks like some kind of science fiction thing a space
1: yeah but it, it looks like the fuselage <laughs> of a seven thirty seven with uh, at the front and then some craziness at the back but apparently it, it is theoretically possible of doing Mach four point five for four and a half the- times the speed of sound
0: but that's that's like what twice a, what was what was the it, speed of the yeah about about
1: it's about. Two and a half times the speed of Concorde. It's crazy. And it could do, in theory, again, all of this is in theory, theory could do yeah. London to New York in an hour. And the way it works is um, <laughs> they have three different types of engines, so massively, already hugely inefficient. Um, it has turbojets, so similar to what we have today, a rocket engine, and ramjet. So it would get off the ground using two turbojets and a reasonably conventional or, you know, conventional today – um, and then as the as it rotated it would then climb vertically using these rockets like up like a like a space shuttle sure. and then yeah. right uh you'd better you'd better fasten your seat yeah so the so the turbojets would turn off right as it hit the speed of sound and the rocket jets would engage to do a hundred to get it up to a hundred thousand feet and then at cruise the Apparently the rocket would <laughs> retract into the fuselage retract, and then yes. the ramjets would take over and push it to Mach 4.5 and it would be powered by <laughs> hydrogen and I also think it would be powered by bullshit because mean <laughs> because there's no freaking way that this is going to happen. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I would love to see something like that. But we know that these kind of projects are really so I mean, just not economically feasible, even I mean, I'm not even sure they are actually currently feasible at all. But even if they were, I mean, this kind of stuff that will never happen. Yeah, there was, a, the, you know, even in the past when so so when um, uh, the French ca- ca- came with our Concorde, so the Americans tried to, to react and it was the I think it was given to Boeing I think if yeah. i remember correctly the super supersonic the SS21 I have been I inside of the prototype but it was supposed the first prototype, the first, sorry, the first um, uh, designs They were also actually have some kind of retractable wings yeah. and engine, and it became so freaking heavy that it couldn't even lift off. So that's the kind of thing. I mean, not, of course, technology has seen a lot of advancements since then, but what I mean is there's a huge difference between what you can imagine in your mind, and I'm sure if it's a patent, there still has been, it's not just you know, some guy writing something down on a napkin, but it's still Airbus. <laughs> But it's true that, wow, well, uh, I don't think we'll have that in our lifetime. Yeah, me. I mean, I wish,
1: me, but. Me. I, as much as I would love su- uh, supersonic travel to come back. I Paris to San Francisco in three hours. I mean, yeah, I, don't get me wrong. Love I am that. all for this. Yeah. But this seems like patent trolling to me um, or just getting it out there so <laughs> no one else can. But if they were actually throwing money and brains at this, good on them. Because yeah, good however they're going to, and you know, the the major flaws or the downfall of the Concorde was massive inefficiency and noise. So good, even yeah. if you can crack an efficient engine that will get you past the speed of sound, you have to not Demons. have yeah. sonic booms.
0: Yeah, which I mean, that, they can only do that basically on top, on above sea level, I mean, on, above the sea. So basically, it restricts so many destinations. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But something actually closer, uh, we mentioned the that the Airbus uh, eFan, you know, the small electric uh, um, plane made uh, across the channel. And actually, they're looking to go a little bit actually further with that ID. And they're looking into something a bit bigger. Yes, they've actively started designing a
1: 100-seat uh, regional airliner with this kind of hybrid electric, they call it the... the EPU which would have kind of 6 megawatts worth of power going to these this kind of row of electric thrusters um, and it's it's very similar to a to a hybrid car but it wouldn't be gas it would be it might it could be diesel a di- kind of diesel hybrid electric mm-hmm. thing it's it, this is really cool and they've set it as a 10 year goal which in terms of aircraft development is reasonably short so yeah. kudos to them i mean they've 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 got a timeline to have a commercially viable product available like flying by yeah. twenty thirty
0: two uh, and i've, and I've as, as we've said i've seen the e fan i mean it was, it's a small aircraft it's pretty uh quiet uh which actually also something that a lot of airports are you know especially the neighbors are fighting against have our aircraft currently over my head actually so that's what i'm thinking about that that's also some solution of course it's we're still a long way off having a a320 on pure electric hybrid hybrid power but i mean i think it's essential that a company with that credibility that amount of firepower is looking into uh new types of engines and new types of uh, energy efficiency it's very cool it's very cool it's very cool yeah talking about talking about energy efficiency uh the third runway at ETHRO. I mean, of course, everybody, you know, there were a lot of complaints about from the neighborhood. But uh, the bigger complaints is actually unlike, it was very unlikely. This surprised it's,
1: the hell out of me.
0: What the hell is going on? So, is the uh, the chairman of IAG is the chairman? Yeah, CEO. Launch, yeah, CEO. You said that basically the price tag the price tag of the runway is excessive and cannot be justified on any justified on any basis. We didn't ask for it, and we're not paying for it. Yeah,
1: so he, I mean, he's come out, they have come out, as the most vocal opponents, other than Gatwick, of the third runway at Heathrow. And they would arguably benefit the most from it. Um, and he said, and it's all down to cost, because they've, they're saying that this massive... Uh, cost for developing the runway would get passed on to the airlines who would then have to pass it on to the consumer. And they just, that would make them even less competitive with, you know, with air passenger duty, uh, hampering them already. So I think a lot of people would have been kind of gone, wait, what, (laughs) (laughs) but sure enough, he's come out and said it.
0: Yeah, it said it. Uh, though the economist had a, Gulliver, and the economist had a a, had a very interesting op-ed because he says that basically, yeah, well, Walsh said in 2005 that, yeah, well, the case for a third runway is clear. And then he even said last year that there must be a third runway. So it might just be a bluff or a negotiation tactic about the pricing and how much they pay. They're not, that seems... They're, they're the airline that uh, it ha- they have the majority of of slots, majority of traffic at at ETHRO. They are the airline that will win the most by having more slots and more yeah. traffic. So let's get ourselves. That seems will...
1: like a very reasonable assertion that it's just plus
0: the the, the funny the funny bit is that in the same in the same interview, not to give hope to Gatwick, which was the the other solution, he says, I have made, I've made it clear that I see no business case for Gatwick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the case that they've put forward doesn't set up to any level of scrutiny. So it that's a status quo, is it? But I, I think it's more a tactic yeah. than actual. Yeah. If
1: they came out I and know. said somebody else would be paying for it, then he would probably be a huge fan of the second of yeah, the third of runway. Course.
0: Uh, if you like visualization, the N- the NATS, which regulates traffic over uh, the UK, has come up uh, as well in favor of a third runway. We, at uh, I mean, not a th- uh, sorry. I think in favor of uh, more traffic, more uh, capacity. I don't think they have actually taken a position, uh, uh, especially for Heathrow. But they put out a very nice video that shows all the traffic path over London over 24 hours, and it's actually pretty pretty amazing. beautiful. Absolutely yeah. mesmerizing. Still about IAG, uh, they old food with with uh, Ryanair. Yeah. <laughs> so we said last week that Ryanair was okay to sell its stake at, for, in Erlingus. But now they're playing time. They say, yeah, we're going to sell it to you. When? We're not telling. I mean, <laughs> probably next month. So basically, they already, you know, probably, I think it was last week, there was the first, you know, that the, uh, the threshold, the deadline for the signature of the documents. So they basically didn't show up and say, "Oh, we'll do it next month." So I think they're just playing hard to yeah, get. Yeah. That's, that's they're not, not happy part of about, of course, though, isn't it? But for those who are flying BA, the most uh, thing, the most interesting bit, an actual piece of fact that might interest you is that uh, they are changing the, their luggage policy. So they're going to start to be much more restrictive on luggage policy, basically for cabin luggage, uh, because that's the whole debate. And it's true. I, I was in a flight yesterday at BA and, and the day before again and you know it's really become the war of the overhead compartments you know people come with like the largest luggage as possible i mean i'm not blaming them always and there's not enough room Uh, so what they will do now they will actually give you a tag which would be a yellow tag so if you're so if you get the tag on your luggage it means that it has the right size and is guaranteed to stay in the cabin if you don't have it it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to get into, but if there's not enough enough room, they will remove your luggage and put it in the hold. Wow. What do you think, Alex? I think it's
1: in line with a lot of what other airlines are doing. Um, it's, it's quite a low cost carrier tactic. Um, EasyJet have been hugely uh, vocal about this. Um, it's much more in their interest for turn times. Uh, I am so divided about this. I don't, I think it's, it's ridiculous to charge a customer uh, to put their bags in the hold and then restrict what they can bring on hand language wise. But then again, having flown in the US a lot recently and seeing what people bring on to the airplanes, I see why an airline's hand gets forced and they have to in- institute things like this because it gets ridiculous. Yeah, it actually. Yeah. But, it, you know, as we've I- said in the past, it's what prompts you pe- people like you and I to get on the plane first. <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. I'm I'll always, I'm the first in line. I look like a r- ridiculous sometimes because yesterday the plane, so I arrived at the gate and when I arrived at the gate, basically five minutes later, they told us the plane is delayed. But, and I was already standing in front of the line. I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna move. And I'm sorry, I moved out, So I went having a seat and then suddenly other guys starting and I'm like, oh no, I'm not losing. I'm, I'm not getting in the back of the queue. So I stood up, so basically I stood up for 25 minutes checking my phone because I had nothing else to do because I just because I wanted to make sure that my carry-on would be inside, which is stupid at the end of the day. I know my carry-on actually is the right size. It was actually because I was just going for a deck; yeah. so It's a very small one, but I would hate that anybody tells me, you know what? Yeah, this one goes into the halt. No way.
1: Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating. And I, I dropped off my in-laws at, uh, at Heathrow a couple of days ago and they were on Virgin and Virgin were doing something very similar. They were, you had to show them every single piece of hand luggage and they would put a tag on it, which they do intermittently in my experience of Virgin, but now they seem to be doing it a lot more. And I have to say, just on the subject, Virgin Atlantic have made some changes to their check-in process at Heathrow and it is super bad. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. So they force you to check in on the, on the kiosks but they don't tell you that. So you can wait in line. My poor in-laws waited in line for 20 minutes to check in because the kiosk wouldn't work. I said, let's go to the kiosk and check in. And it said, okay, we can't do this. Please see a colleague. So they waited in line and the lady said, "Um, you need to go check in on a kiosk. And they said, oh no, it doesn't work. And they said, no, you need to go see one of my colleagues. So they'd waited 20 minutes in line and no one had come along and said, yeah. And so my, my in-laws were very patient about it, but I, Nearly, that's, no, no, nearly that's flipped not. out. I mean,
0: at least you should say you know, because there are other airlines. For instance, I was in Geneva, which uh, you you will go soon, and in Geneva, the Swiss uh, started, you know, like basically mandating people to use the the kiosk as well. But you have one or two members of staff that are there and tell you, "Oh, here you go." And if you have a difficulty using it, they will also help you. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, they will drive you to another one. So, and I think at least for a. Uh, the moment right now, there's like, you never know what to do sometimes. You arrive at the airport like, okay, there's, oh, there's a check-in. There's no one there. Should I go? Yeah. Or am I not allowed? You know, so it has to be more better direct. Yeah, it was,
1: it was just badly managed. And, you know, a lot of people were getting really, really frustrated because they did not do a good job. And even those two people who had already checked in were, or tried to check in on the kiosk rejected them what else were you supposed to do the natural thing to do is go wait in 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 line at a
0: check-in desk and anyway. plus if you if you've waited for 20 minutes come just on, yeah just she said oh, i could just, just help
1: uh, yeah so it would be interesting to hear from virgin atlantic if they have any reasons for this and what people should do and that they're planning on telling people to do this before they hit it's the case
0: the in, in that case is the case of following you know process by too far if somebody has waited for 20 minutes and wasn't aware just help yeah. you know just check them absolutely. in and that's finished absolutely right? um oh talking about just quickly talking about luggages uh if you're also in, in london there's something that i used to have when i was living in japan you can have now the luggage delivery system so it exists already at lcy so at um uh, lucy airport uh city airport sorry i was trying to find the actual name never use it city airport so you can actually on both uh when you inbound and outbound so you can have your luggage picked up at your place and delivered to the airport and checked in and you can have the opposite which is actually when you go out of the plane they uh take the luggage for you and they deliver it to your home which can be very useful if you're using public transportation like the tube for instance or and i've, and I've seen that in other countries and actually kind of works very well it's exactly very it's a i don't the pricing i haven't checked so i can tell you if it's actually really worth doing it but i think it's a it's uh it's an interesting service. I think it's called Air Porter or something like that. So if you're ever in London, uh either Gatwick uh or um City, you should look it up because it could be it's interesting if you have a big piece of like Good lectures. good service. Uh before we uh we almost finished, but before I just wanted to see the the worst picture ever in a Kickstarter uh <laughs> campaign. Have you seen Shelf Bag? Yes. So, shelf back is that? Can you describe it? I don't know how to describe that.
1: It's a suitcase with a folding shelf system built into it. So you open up the suitcase and you sort of accordion out this this shelf system. So you you apparently will have a um, you know a set of shelves built into your suitcase, which you would then unfold in your hotel room and put all of your bits and pieces onto
0: the shelving system. I mean, it's already funded, so it's double the funding they were requested for. Uh, Would you buy something like that? I would buy it just to set it on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Because for me, and I'll put the link, there is a picture of family there's a dad and mom and a kid and the luggage uh, they're cleaning a the hotel and the luggage is open in front of them and they're looking at it as if they were looking at some kind of magical trick and like this must be the worst photo i've ever seen in a, in any kickstarter campaign i mean but i mean why not the idea could be interesting
1: it i mean pe- i want to wow. know how much uh packing space it takes up with the shells yeah, the shelves and yeah. 350 dollars and i guarantee you that that telescoping system to keep the shelves up will break after six weeks. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. I hate gimmicky luggage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So one last piece of news, and then we go on to the airport. I just want to congratulate my friend, Gillian Morris. Uh, She's the co-founder of the app called HitList. We mentioned the app a few times. The app, uh, so the version three of the app is out. Uh, it's a really cool app. Uh, it's actually, the, the the new developments they've done are actually pretty, really fun to make it easier to be social, to retain trips. So the app, the, the, the basically the, the idea of the app is you declare places you'd like to go to and the app sends you notifications. We talked about notification, and those are on for me. Uh, there's a great deal if you want to go to that place for X amount of pounds or dollars or euros, depending on where you are. So it actually surveys and keeps track for you of these deals and gives you like, oh, there, if you go seven days in Chicago, there will be that price. So it's it's pretty open. You have to be open, but it's nice to see, and all the notifications are now uh, kept in the app and everything. It's, it's a really nice app, and... When I say congratulate her is because uh, it it has been featured as the best new app in more than 50 countries by um, Apple's App Store. That's a pretty good thing. uh,
1: Absolutely. Huge kudos.
0: I'm sure they'll have a lot of uh, downloads. Uh, We'll have her as a guest in in a coming episode that's already uh, in discussion. that will be cool to have her take on all these travel uh, things we talk about. Dublin Airport. Yeah, great. So what do you uh what do you think about I mean uh, where was the last time you went there? Uh March. So yeah, oh yeah for the recording of your episode yeah. of course. For shame, of course. Silly me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what do you what are you I, I well it's an interesting features. airport because
1: there's a brand brand ish terminal and a very old tired terminal and I flew out of the very oh, old yeah. tired terminal but the new terminal actually is really really solid. Uh there's a few unique things about Dublin Airport, reasonably unique things. Uh, because of the business friendly kind of tax structure of of ireland a lot of major international companies have their headquarters in either dublin or in ireland uh in general so they've had to kind of do the infrastructure to do that but as a result uh, you can clear u.s immigration in dublin yeah, so if amazing. you're flying from and that's not a result of of um Uh, of the kind of business investment it just happens to work that way but let's say you're flying from london to new york via dublin during that stopover in dublin you can go through us passport control while the plane's being refueled so when you get to new york you don't have to go through the awfulness of jfk passport control you just walk out into the arrivals hall with flights from miami or des moines or san francisco like a domestic flight and there's only three airports in north outside of north america Another one is Shannon, also in Ireland, that have that feature. So it's great. Another little tip for Dublin is if you, like me and Paul, live in in London or anywhere in the UK, you have to pay air passenger duty. It's built into the price of your ticket, so you won't notice it. Ireland does not have that. So if you're flying basically anywhere outside of Europe, I would strongly recommend. Let's say you're flying to San Francisco instead of looking. London, San Francisco, use Google Flights to search for, or Kayak, or Hitmonk, or any of those other places to search Dublin, San Francisco, or Dublin, wherever the hell you're going. And you will find that the price is
0: pretty much always cheaper. Yeah, it is. So the terminal one is the old one. That's also the one I was in with BA. The terminal two is a new one. In both, you have, uh, fast track, obviously, like many airports, but you can actually buy fast track and pre-book fast track. I think it only costs like six euros. Why don't more it's airports not, do that? It's actually pretty good deal. I think, uh, Geneva airport now offers it. I think it's eight Swiss francs or something. I'm That's not sure. I should money, Check though, it out. It? Yeah. But I mean, depending on, you know, if you, if you travel often in coach, It might be actually good to know, because at some point, there might be no one in security. I went, there was no one in security, so no problem. Mm. But if I knew it was a very you know intense period of the day or of the week, or probably because of their holidays or something, I would consider paying the six euros something to get fast track. Because the fast track, I've seen the fast track, and it's actually a very nice area. There was no one there. Uh, you can also buy your, uh, so they, I have, um, lounges, mm-hmm. same thing. Can buy, I think it's 20 euros in both uh, T1 and T2 to get access to lounge. That's also something you fancy. I've been to one lounge yesterday, the one at T1. is okay. I have nothing to write home about, but I think, by the way, I think it was, a, it used to be the BMI lounge. Mm. So BMI would disappeared. It's not a BA lounge. It's not some kind of a Dublin airport.
1: Yeah, because lounge. they are no longer, uh, in one, or airlingus Lingus is no longer in one world, and so the those
0: uh, tie ups have kind of fallen by the wayside
1: for BA. Oh, and I Aer see. But
0: I would have thought that BA would have taken over anyway. But yeah, it, I don't. Nice. Uh, it's it's a pretty collage. A uh, few things there is in Terminal Two. There are pool tables if you have t- time to actually uh, uh, spend before your flight. You kind of find them there in a cafe. I don't remember the name of it because I noted that and I forgot to, name the, the, to put the name of the cafe. So there are pool tables if you want to see. Uh, one thing when you come, oh, yeah, because that I was surprised. I don't know if you know that. Probably you do. Have you used Uber in, uh, in Dublin, yes. Alex? So have you used Uber Black or Uber X? Uh, Uber X. Uber X are cabs. Yes. That's, like in Hong you know, Kong. The, yeah exactly so that was very surprising because UberX in many countries including here in the UK but also in the US and other countries are private cars yeah. you know and but uh, due to the regulations what Uber has done it's uh UberX are cabs so basically it is actually a pretty good way to go to the city which is about 25 minutes from the city center is yeah it's actually airport. not easy to get from the airport to
1: the city center, to the city center because yeah, at all there's no train service although they're working on it um and the traffic is almost always really really bad so the taxi or uber i reckon is your best bet there are airport buses that are around nine euros that nine euros. that's not
0: that's not too bad but the tra the traffic is just yeah one of one uh, of the drivers actually i took one of the cabs and he he told me that yeah he admitted that public transport in dublin is still not there yet it's getting much better but it's still not there when you compare it of course to big cities like london yeah it's not as a big city but it's true that Cabs are, and they're plentiful. I've always found a cab very easily, so it,
1: it's not. A- it's a fun airport to fly out of towards the UK because you take off and you are immediately out over the water, and yes, you can absolutely. see like it's so cool. It, uh, there's a actually for most of that you can see England or actually Wales and Ireland at the same time from from thirty six thousand um, yeah. feet, which is especially at night. It's a it's
0: a fun ride. That's uh, absolutely. And something uh, that most people who do not live here or in Dublin don't know, there's a common travel, I don't remember the name of it, union or something. So you don't have border control. Yes. So when you get out of the plane, even though there are two different countries, uh, you get out of the plane from Ireland, you step out at uh, T5, you're directly out. You don't have to go through passport immigration. So that's actually pretty cool to know that because you can save a lot of time uh, because of that. And last but not least, for plane spotters, uh, if you like that, there is a road that actually goes along one of the runways. It's called the R108. Uh, you'll see it when you take off, actually. Uh, you can actually go with your car uh, if you have one, or you can walk pretty far to so take a cab, take a UberX to go there. You can actually see the entire airport. And it's much better from the views out from the airport. I was trying to find a view to find good view from the airport. And some gates you can see some of the parking yeah far away you can see the runway but there's nothing really like very close experience of the runway so that road is your best friend r108 i think that's all All i had to say about that
1: airport i'll say that the food options post security and terminal one are not great oh yeah my god um but (laughs) terminal two uh there's a upstairs there's a there's a good bar area where they where they pull a pretty good pint of guinness Apparently,
0: <laughs> oh, uh, I would though so that if you're on T1, you can go to uh, there's also two two uh, floors, and the second floor near the gates, I think hundreds. Uh, so the gates closer to security of 300. Is I mean counterintuitive, and the more the further you go, the further the number goes down. Near 100, there's something that is called the Garden Terrace Bar. Uh, you have cool views, and it's also a good pint of gates. There you down. go. That's that's a good okay. tip. That's a good tip. Exactly. On that, Alex, Uh, see you probably next week. Yes, safe travels. That was fun. That was fun. Bye-bye, guys. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.